My sister was in New Jersey. She was there getting some antique toys and just parked on a side road in kind of a seedy area of town. And she walked out of the the antique store or whatever it was, walking towards her van, and she sees a lot of activity around her van. What's her gut response? Well, you don't know my sister, but my sister just looked in, I won't use the language she used, but she said, what the heck are you doing? Are you robbing my van? It's like you have the audacity to rob my van. Get the heck out of here. But she said it, you know, with very strong language. Now, I don't think I would respond that way. I think I would run away or I would freeze. I don't know. That has not happened to me. But how do you respond when someone threatens violence, whether it's someone threatening to punch you out or domestic violence, your, your husband or wife wants to beat you up, or whether it's violence with someone holding a gun to your head, you're at a convenience store and it's a robbery, or someone tries to enter your home. With me today is Dr. James Campbell. He's the Rhode Island Coordinator for the American Psychological Association, American Red Cross, Disaster Response Network, and he's a frequent consultant to corporations regarding crisis response and threat of violence. He is the director of the University of Rhode Island Counseling Center, and he teaches courses in traumatic stress and workplace violence. He's also the author of a book, Hostage, Terror, and Triumph. Welcome to the show, Dr. James Campbell. Thank you very much. If you could tell us a little bit about psychological self-defense, the do's and the don'ts, would you say that what my sister did was good, bad, indifferent, or what? Well, we all resonate to those stories like your sister and, and the, the brave store owner who responds uh, assertively and with outrage and scares the perpetrator away. However, there's a lot more stories where that results in a very unpleasant outcome and injuries to victims. So, so my sister was very lucky. Yeah. I think they did steal the items that they had already, but I think she stopped it in midstream. Yeah. Yeah. So typically you'd want to, you know, focus first on security. The human being um, staying alive is usually more important than stealing money or objects. And uh, so you focus on safety first and go with the prudent route. Call the police and back away and let those folks do their job would probably be the more prudent route. But sometimes, you know, in our moment of outrage, we respond just from our anger. And it's understandable, and I'm glad she was okay. Yeah. So what are the things that you should not do if you've got, say, a burglar coming into your home? Uh, Well, if you're... You have a clear sense that you have a burglar on entering your home, then you want to get police there as quickly as possible and try to go to a secure place where you can lock a door until they get there. Uh, and, you know, that would, you know, generally be the uh, most advisable response or if you can uh, leave and get away, but usually not to confront uh, perpetrators uh, who are prepared to commit violence. Uh, even when I am working with potential perpetrators, say, in a threat of violence situation, if I have any concern at all about safety, I make sure I have several um, plainclothes uh, security officers there observing. You know, there's no good reason to uh, risk your life uh, when it's not necessary. Right. I can remember, I worked at a a veteran's hospital. Have you worked at one, too? Not Uh, a VA, Okay. I worked there for two years, and I know when I applied for the job, they looked at me, because I'm petite, and they said, 
um, what would you do if someone pulled a gun out at you, Alan? And I said, no, nobody, why would anyone pull a gun out at me? You know, I wasn't thinking. And they said, well, this is a veterans hospital. And after that, we got training. Everybody in my class got training as to not to wear necklaces that are gold and thick-chained because someone can use that to strangle you. Mm -hmm. To sit next to the door if you're with a potentially violent person, a person who has killed people or has been hostile. So you sit near the door. You leave the door a crack open. You have a distress alarm. We had a little button that we could push. Mm-hmm. That Sometimes I had security guards, like you said, outside the door waiting. The person didn't necessarily know because that would provoke them. I even had to have the duty to warn. I had to do that a few times. Yes, which uh, yeah. Would you explain what that is? Uh, duty to warn. If um, you're working with a, a patient um, who has made a threat towards an identifiable target. Um, In most states, health or mental health provider has a responsibility to warn the the potential target and to advise the police. And it's a rarely used uh, action, but it's sometimes necessary. And in a VA hospital where people have a lot of stored up anger, this was from the Viet, these were mostly Vietnam vets right. at the time right. I was working there. Yeah. And they all have familiarity with weapons. And they have the weapons. Mm-hmm. They tell a psychologist, they let down their hair and they say, listen, I'm going to kill my neighbor Joe tomorrow. Or I'm going to kill my wife and right. kids. And, you know, I've got the weapon and I'm serious. Mm-hmm. And you say, are you really serious? You have to do a thorough assessment. You can't have leading questions. And then when you're convinced that this event is likely to happen, or even if it's possible that it can happen, you've got to call the police and you've got to let that person know. So in that moment, your life is in jeopardy. Yeah. Because they could get very angry with you. And again, I'm petite, so, you know, right. this is, these, are, these are big guys. Yeah. So strong sure. guys or trained guys. Right. So It's worth noting here, we're talking about a very specific slice of a population. Veterans in general are, are, you know, certainly not at risk. um, Very, very good point. Very, very good point, yes. So if someone's threatening violence, we have examples of robbery or an angry co-worker or a drug-using kid. What else would you recommend people doing? Well, a few basics that apply to most situations, and then there's a lot of other things that are more situation-specific. But generally... Most, almost universal advice is to pay attention to your gut feelings and your fears and suspicions. It doesn't mean you're absolutely 100% right, but pay attention. Usually people delay reacting because they think, oh, this couldn't be. You know, I'm, okay. I'm just being paranoid. But most people don't react in a paranoid way. And so if you are feeling paranoid, that's something to pay attention to. The other thing is don't go it alone. Connect with people. Talk to people. If it's in a company, talk to your boss. Talk to HR, company security. Go at this with a team approach. Uh, These things rarely work out well when you try to work it out all by yourself. Get help. It helps psychologically. It also helps resolve the situation more effectively. The other thing is if you're feeling personally at risk, uh, take prudent action to, you know, for your personal security. Uh, if, say, someone is stalking you, uh, be aware of that. Log that. Uh, vary your route. Uh, imp- enhance your security of your home and locks and, and tell neighbors and keep track of license plates and, and you know, all those kinds of things. Um, to you know, help assure your personal security. Uh, and if, if it's serious enough, even move. Move to a friend's house or a motel or whatever. The personal safety 
needs comes to first. Yeah, and you know, I tell my clients who have domestic violence situations or potential ones that safety is first. Right. You know that that's always primary. You You're know, exactly talking right. about divorce situations or whatever, safety comes first. So thank you so much for joining us today. With me today was Dr. James Campbell, and I hope you'll join us again sometime. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And you want to think about protecting yourself in your own life from people who can harm you physically, but also psychologically. People can be envious, and their methods of being envious can be very subtle. They can just have ever so subtle put-downs, and then, you know, you're really doing that today? Oh, I'm only kidding. Can't you take a joke? That's usually the form that envy comes, one of the many forms that envy comes in. But you need to be psychologically aware that some people want you to grow and flourish and love your life and some people want to undermine it and and they can't do it overtly because you would be aware of it. So I'm Dr. Ellen Kenner on the rational basis of happiness. That's what you want for yourself. See you again next week. Your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Here's an excerpt from The Selfish Path to Romance, the serious romance guidebook by clinical psychologist Dr. Ellen Kenner and co-author Dr. Edwin Locke. The problem with full-fledged narcissists as romantic partners is that they are incapable of truly valuing another person because they do not value themselves. They are fundamentally lacking in self-esteem and are obsessed with relieving their own anxieties. They don't know what it means to pursue a positive value, one that is not tied to relieving self-doubt. They need, in quotes, others in a desperate sort of way, and they, in quotes, use them. But they cannot love them. They are not truly selfish because narcissists have no real sense of self. Their self, in quotes, is only a cauldron of fears and doubts and grandiose self-deceptive fantasies whose goal is to alleviate those self-doubts. You can download Chapter 1 for free by going to drkenner.com and you can buy the book at amazon.com.